I'm not even really fully prepared to get into that. But, well, why not? The more knowledge, the more grief. Is that true? I think it can be. Too much is given, much is what? Jesus said, much is required. Thanks, Bill. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot here. And, and one of the things, and again, I, as I was reading through this, and I mentioned last week I found another author who believes that Solomon wrote this at the end of his life, right? Um, and as you kind of read through this, it, it, it tends to make sense because when, when you gain some kind of knowledge, right, at first it's very exciting, right? It, so it seems. It, it seems exciting often, hopefully. Uh, but then as you go and have to live with that knowledge, there's also what's called the outliers, the exceptions to the supposed rule. And, and especially for younger people, the outliers can drive them crazy because they don't know how, what to make sense out of something that's very different than what they've been taught. Especially, you, you see this at times with, especially with kids that are taught up, like, well, I'll, in a very strict religious background, and, and then they go, they go out, they go away to college, and, and, you know, they become very different people, we'll just say it that way, um, because they have the freedom to engage in and experiment with. And, but in part, is, it's kind of almost like this, it's like a temporary insanity because everything is, is going against the grain of what they have learned. But this also happens probably in a much milder degree with adults, uh, particularly when they have their worldview challenged. Now, now uh, young people, they go crazy and experiment. Young people, go, older people go crazy and they get angry. That's usually what happens uh, when, you, when you challenge an old person's uh, frame of reference and, and their point of view. Um, again, I'm saying these, these are general, okay? Not, not, it's not every, not every one of us. And not all the time, all right? But notice in the first 11 verses, it's very different than um, 12 through 18. And it's, it's like he's giving us this poetic, um, this poetic type of um, overview of what he's going to get into. Now, it, to me, that's really valuable. And one of the things that I... I've tried to encourage you in reading these is to read them and then give them some time to let, let it marinate a little bit, right? It's like when you barbecue, right? You put some food or piece of meat in some marinade and you let it sit there for a while. And then the meat takes on the flavor of the marinade, right? You, you, these things are, are, I think, really do us well if we let it marinate some. Now, what if you get off? What if you start thinking about something and then all of a sudden you're, you're out in left field somewhere? Is that, a da- is, is that a possibility? I think it is a possibility. And I, I know some, particularly some pastors who don't, who don't want to encourage people to use their imagination in reading the, the scriptures because they're afraid that's going to happen. But is it the end of the world? 
I mean, part, part of, of being in the community of faith is that we can bounce these things off of each other and wrestle with some of these things. Uh, the, the scripture is very clear in the Old Testament about it, even where it talks about iron sharpening iron. This was something that the Jews were quite comfortable with. That's why I always tell you that when you put 10 Jews in a room, you end up with 12 different opinions because they're, they're going back and forth on some of these things. And the, the, some of the most, how do I say this? Some of the most heretical people that I know, they live in an echo chamber. What do I mean by that? They're the me, Jesus and me under the apple tree kind of people. In other words, they never engage with the body of Christ as they're working out their own salvation, that is, their own theology in fear and trembling. And, and they're convinced that they're convinced that they're convinced that the Spirit of God told him whatever it was that they now believe, but it goes against the grain of the historic Christian faith that's only been established for almost 2,000 years. And I've met people like that. You've known people like that. You may not know that that's anyway, but you know people like that. And because they don't, they don't take their working out of the scriptures back into the community to, to allow the community as a realm or a means to temper and to adjust. Does that make sense? To, to adjust bad thinking. Um, that's why I read a lot of commentaries. I don't, now there are times I do a study and I, I don't even, all I do is read the Bible. There are times I do that, but there are also most of the time I will read a lot of commentaries because I'm checking my own thoughts. Now I know some people who read commentaries because they have no thoughts and they're trying to find, and okay, you know, you got to start somewhere. All right. But, but what I've, why, part of why I read a lot of commentaries is I'm checking my own thoughts and to see if they hold water in comparison. But sometimes I'll read a commentary and I disagree with it. Um, I, I, I'm not even didn't even include it in my notes. I was reading some of what Gregory and Nysa, fourth century Cappadocian father, wrote about uh, this uh, Ecclesiastes twelve through fourteen, and I totally disagreed with it. So. <laughs> See, that's a, that's a good question, Bill, but it's also a tough question because oh, you could, if, you, you, if you look hard enough, you will always find somebody who agrees with you. Right? So, and, and I know people who do this with Scripture, uh, particularly the free will, sovereignty of God debate. Well, there's more verses that say free will or more verses that say God's sovereignty, so therefore that must be true, but the other isn't, which is a horrible way to study the Bible. Um, so when, when, I, when I encounter, and I do encounter, part of it is I understand most of the guys that I read, I understand their background. So it's, it, and I had a, like, for, for example, I had a friend of mine who is now dabbling in Presbyterianism, um, he pulled out the Westminster Confession, okay? Now, the Westminster Confession, by and large, I'm fine with. 
I don't agree with everything within the Westminster Confession. And, and I, can, I can go to the scriptures because of, uh, to, to, to jump ahead of myself, Bill, I, I will go back and appeal to the scripture. Now, I am still at the mercy of my interpretation, and I understand that. That's why I like to get into the original language to try to help me not be so slanted in, in my understanding of what the Bible says. Uh, but even in commentaries, as an old friend of mine used to say, I'm going to get back to Presbyterianism just a second. Uh, I had an old friend that used to say, we're always at the mercy of who we read. And he's right. And so um, I, I think sometimes, when, and there's, I, I will handle disagreements different ways. Sometimes to me it's just blatantly obvious that they are writing from their presupposition. They're writing from their point of view. Uh, and I'm like, well, of course he would say this because he's a dispensationalist, for example, right? Um, or of course he would say this because he's a Presbyterian. You know, I uh, had to go there. But anyway, but my friend pulled out the Westminster Confession, and he's trying to use it as a case for inerrancy. Well, he, and, and that's fine. You know, it's a statement of faith. It is a confession. There are, uh, you know, but, but, that's why I like the Apostles' Creed. Um, the Apostles' Creed doesn't really say anything about the Scripture, by the way. I find that to be fascinating. It is a declaration of faith. We read it every Sunday. Uh, the Nicene Creed starts to get it a little bit more uh, slicing the, 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 the onions a little bit finer. But anyway, he brings out the Westminster Confession, which is fine, but the Westminster Confession was written as a response to the problems that were taking place with the Church of England, and that has to be taken into account. Even uh, the 95 Thesis that were written and posted on, on the Wittenberg door were written as a response to the indulgences of the Catholic Church at that time. So it, it's really every, if you're really, even the Nicene Creed, if you really think about it, every, every formation, every creed, every statement of faith is really a reaction toward something, if you really think about it. And it's, Basically saying, we disagree with you on this point. This is why we disagree with you on, and, and, you know, I mean, Westminster does say that. Even the, the 39 articles of the, of the Church of England uh, say that as well. Um, um, so, yeah, it, it's very difficult. Sometimes what I will do, Bill, is, and I, I, I like to do this more on Wednesday than on a Sunday because the Sunday I'm trying to be a little bit more laser-focused. On a Wednesday, there's room for more latitude. I will give you two different opinions. Uh, N- Gregory of Nyssa in his writing about, since I, since I opened up the door, Gregory of Nyssa in his writing about this really almost worded this in such a way that you could possibly interpret that the Son had been created by the Father, which I don't believe is true. Uh, and... I, without reteaching John 1, 1, which I did a few weeks ago, that was the reason why I disagreed with it. Because I, I did some real, real digging into John 1, 1. And to really, uh, because I know that's a, a, a verse that's challenged. 
I have people that want to challenge me on that verse, uh, trying to say that, in, and, and the word was a God. Uh, that's not true. That's not true theologically, that's not true biblically, and that's not true grammatically. So sometimes things do get lost in the translation, and that's where at times it's a little bit, you've got to be a little careful reading the early fathers because you're translating stuff into English that was, was written 1,600 years ago in a different language. So that's, I don't know if that answered your question. Um, yeah, well, I, I think it's a good question. And, and the, the thing is, is, what do you do? Well, I, I mean, I can put it this way. What do you do when you hear something I say that you disagree with? Because I know each and every one of you at some point do. You know, and you don't have to answer that, by the way. But, uh, you know, uh, and I've changed my theology uh, on certain things. And... I don't know that I won't change it again. I'm not planning on it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to work through certain ideas. I, I mean, to me, not everything in the Bible is clear, cut, and dried. It really isn't. And, and... Part of my goal in, in, the, in, in, in the way that I teach, particularly on a Wednesday night, is to try to get you to think more and think biblically, to think broader biblically, um, and to, to really give some, give some thought um, into what the, what the Bible is saying. Sam, so again, I'm this guy who appealed to Westminster, to the Westminster Confession, uh, is because we were saying things that were that a he was misinterpreting b he did not understand and so c he wanted to stay in the conversation so he decided to appeal to a document that was written in the 1600s when in reality then we turned around and appealed to a document that was written in the first century the apostles creed so um we trumped him but anyway uh and you know all i want for him to do is to think and give these things some thought. But with him, and he's a great guy, he's a friend of mine, but he knee-jerk reacts. Well, if you're saying this, then that must mean this. No, it doesn't mean that. Now you're trying to reinterpret what I'm trying to say, you know. So it, it's, um, which is interesting that we're having this conversation because what we're looking at tonight is centered around wisdom. There's my segue back. <laughs> It really is, thank you, Bill, it really is centered around wisdom. And, and he goes on to say, I the preacher. Now, um, who has something besides I the preacher? Anybody. I the teacher. And you have uh, New Living? Okay. So he's referring to the, himself as the preacher. I'm trying to look it up. Yeah, preacher in King James. Um, ESV, I think, says preacher, too. I still haven't, quite haven't found it yet. Yeah, preacher. Okay. Um, which is interesting because it, that might not be the best translation. King James says it. ESV says it. I can't remember if the Holman says it. You have teacher in the New Living. New American Standard 2020 has I, the preacher. Uh, um, 
it, it, it doesn't quite fully add up to the Greek, excuse me, the Hebrew definition, which is really, I, again, I have a hard time working through the Hebrew, but this, this rendering preacher really could really, uh, really reflect more of Jerome, Jerome's Latin Vulgate. I, never, I don't mention the Vulgate a whole lot, all right? Jerome translated the Bible into Latin. He was the first to do so. And so he uses the word uh, conscion nature, which really refers to a speaker before an assembly. Therefore, they translated that into preacher, all right? Uh, It's in the Septuagint, it, it refers to the ekleos, Right, the ecclesia, which means the assembly, or in this case, the one who is called out, uh, who calls out the assembly because he has a, a, a something to say to them. So um, notice he says, I, the preacher, have been, or most of the translations, I think, use the word was, where it says, I was the king of of." Uh, of over Israel in Jerusalem. Now that gives the impression that it's past tense. Don't think errorist here. We're in a different language, okay? But it does give the impression that it's past tense. But this might be better to uh, to uh, to have interpreted this as as a more of a perfect tense. In other words, instead of the word was or have been king, have been is actually a better translation out of the New American Standard. It says, I, the preacher, have been and still am. That's implication, okay, at least. I have been and I still am. Um, and so he's, he's well in a position to carry out the projects, if you will, that he's speaking about. And so notice he says, and I've set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom about everything that is done under heaven. Now, let's go back to Bill's question. because I didn't like hardly what anybody had to say here on this one, to be honest with you. And sometimes if it just doesn't ring true, I just will, I will let it go. You know, it, it's, it, it, you, I know, and to me in teaching the Bible, you've got to sense it. You've got to feel it. You know, you, you, there, there has to be a sense of conviction about it. And it's like, well, if that works for you, that's great, but it doesn't work for me. Um. So he set his mind, or as the King James says, and I set my heart. Um, ESV, heart. I applied my heart, NIV. Applied my mind. I devoted myself. It's interesting because the note in the New American Standard, at least in the earlier edition, not the one that I have in front of me, but it has a little asterisk in the margin where it says mind, well, it says mind in the text. It actually refers to the heart. So I think heart would probably be uh, probably a better, again, another better translation. But going from Greek to English is difficult. Going from Hebrew to English is even much more difficult particularly if you start, and sometimes you almost have to, consulting with the Septuagint or consulting with the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, to, to, to try to bring this into a good English translation. 
Um, and so he says, so I, I set my mind, I set my heart, I set my whole per- uh, First Kings 4, somewhere around verse 29. So remember when Solomon took the throne, if you remember, what did he ask God for? He was pretty young when he took the throne. But he asked God for wisdom. Now, in 1 Kings, if you've read through it, basically um, he takes the throne, then he starts executing people, which, which he, he does. Um, and so to me, there's, there's, there, there's already a problem. Now, it is a conventional practice, especially back then, that when you took the throne, you eliminate all of your, all of your rivals. And what better way to eliminate them than to have them put to death? Um, but nonetheless, he, you know, and again, I, I, don't, I don't really try to justify it. I have a hard time really making any kind of... Um, sense by it but here's a guy who asked for wisdom god gives it to him and then he starts killing off his rivals um and so it says though in verse 29 of chapter 4 it says and god gave solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart notice there's three things there largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore thus solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. And for he was wiser than all men. And then he lists them. And his fa- I'm not going to read them. And, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He also spoke of trees from the cedar of Lebanon, even until the hyssop of the springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and men of all nations from all kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So um, he was well-respected, among other things, but he was well-learned. He was well-studied. He was well-knowledgeable, but he was also well wise and yet at the same time possibly and again it would make sense that he wrote this when he was older he starts off this book by saying vanity of vanity is all is vanity so this could almost be considered as i mentioned earlier almost like a second introduction to the book where he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I have set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom about everything that has been done under heaven. Um, so this is not a fair question. Well, I mean, I will, I will wait then. Um, well, no, I will. I, let's jump into this. This is not a fair question, but I'll ask it anyway. What is Wisdom. What is wisdom? I don't know either. That's why I asked. But any thoughts? 
combination of knowledge and experience, okay, that's, that's not a bad start. Let's try to build on that. Good judgment, in other words, knowledge and experience properly applied. You want to expand on that anymore? No. How about any less? I don't know how you survived 30 years of Navy life, but anyway. <laughs> Notice I said Navy life, not military life. But anyway, um, yeah, that's true. And I, I, But you're describing discernment as well, aren't you? To know, to have the ability to know if something is in fact broke. I'll take it even a step further. There are times I, I sense that something is broke, but I'm also sensing that it's not my job to fix it. Can you have one without the other? That's a hard one. Some people I know that are just naturally wise. I think that God has given them um, a natural wisdom, and they, they don't really seem to have a whole lot of knowledge. Or, was that? I know a lot of people have knowledge but don't really ha- appear to have much wisdom. But I know people who don't have a lot of knowledge who appear to have a lot of wisdom. They just do really well with what they know. Oh, sure. Yeah. Experience is a form of knowledge. And, and experience is... is There's a realm of teachers within experience, whether it's self-taught or just, you know, I mean, one of, the, one of the best teachers I ever had in ministry was a bad example, to be honest with you. But he taught me a lot. Um, if, if nothing else, what not to be like, or else I'd be sitting here probably by myself this, morning, this evening, but... You know. Yeah, you know stuff, but you know what to do with it. Yeah, you know, but you know what to do with it, and I, and I think so. It, 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 all these things they really kind of transcend, which is interesting because we read it in First Kings four, where you have, um, if I'm still there, wisdom, exceedingly great understanding. And largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. Largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. Now, I think the sand of the seashore describes the wisdom and the exceeding knowledge as well, personally. But that's how I would interpret that. Um, But... Right. Not well. That's what I'm saying. Yes. They want 
But notice how what he says here, too. So I hope my question wasn't misleading from the text. I'll read it to you from the New King James. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. So it's almost as if he was saying that wisdom was the pair of glasses that he put on when he decided to go on this particular quest of learning. Um, this idea of I set my heart, really, this is re- what he's saying here is that, that he's doing this. He, he's, his pursuit of knowledge is from the very core of his being. Um, so, and I thought about this. We've, we've had some interesting discussions about study here from time to time. Um, you know, you asked me about studying. So, but and I actually have it in my notes, so I'm not, I'm not get, trying to get even with you here, Bill. It's pre-planned, premeditated, okay? How do you guys study? You know, I mean, I, 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 nobody here years ago, don't even live here anymore. Um, and I remember we were talking about end times, which back then I thought I knew everything about end times. Now I don't think I know anything about end times, to be honest with you. But um, I remember talking to this woman and she said, oh, that's just too hard for me. That's just too hard for me. I'm not going to stay. That's just too hard for me. Is that a good reason not to study a particular topic? Now, it's harder to study what's hard. <laughs> and in fact, I, I have, a, again, going back to this friend of mine, I think part of his problem is that he just wants to be given the answer. Because he likes to hang around all these guys who have doctorates, Right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, never, he never went to seminary, right? Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he doesn't understand is the amount of work that it took for someone to go through seminary to finish and, and complete that work. Um, and he, he, he like, like he wants the cliff notes. You remember the cliff notes? I never had any money or I would have bought so many cliff notes. I mean, I just, I, you know, what it's probably saved, I probably would have got my GPA a little bit higher in high school. It was horrible. But um, how do you study? What's your sense? What's your intent to study? How deep do you study? I mean, maybe you don't have the resources. Maybe you can't afford the resources. Maybe you don't want to do, be, do the, the, the digging. Because studying is not easy, is it, Bill? You know, whether you're studying for your own degrees, whether you're studying for the next promotion, we all had to do that. Well, most of us had to do that in the service, right? Um, That's why I stayed in E5 until I got out. But anyway, because I didn't like the study. Um, But but what's um, what's your approach to studying? Because even in studying, and I mentioned this already, and this is also in my notes, 
we're out, we are at the mercy of who we read. One, I think you, he's looking back at his regrets. His, his rule, uh, part of the problem why Jeroboam, his son, did not do well, or was it Roboam? Jeroboam, Roboam. Anyway, uh, I think it was Jeroboam. And why his, his son didn't, because remember, God divided the kingdom uh, right after Solomon left or died. Uh, but part of the reason why that division was, was ripening, was happening, was because he taxed the living daylights out of everybody for all his building projects. You know, he, th- that temple wasn't cheap, um, among other things. Plus, he's too busy marrying all these wives you know, that he, he's ha- and doing it for political expediency. Um, and, and so, I mean, here's the thing is the, the paradox of his life, because he's really kind of comes across as the wisest man that ever lived, and yet um, by the time his life is over, he doesn't have a whole lot to show for it. And, and so, but, but I think, again, going back to what you said, I think the cliff notes, if you want to call them that, the overarching narrative is really a good place to start. It's also, I think, a good place to continue to go back to so that you continue to refamiliarize yourself with, exactly, and then you can dive in deeper. Um, what I, you know, it's so, so you take a passage of scripture. I don't know why I'm going here, but you started it. So <laughs> the canes are causing trouble tonight, boy, I tell you. But uh, so, but um, I, I will usually look at it through the lens of my own systematic theology. In other words, how I interpret the Bible based on how I believe the scriptures to be true. My, my, my understanding of who God is, my understanding of who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, how we are saved, what the Bible actually is all about. All of that uh, uh, is integrated in my thinking, and that's how I interpret. So uh, I, will, I will look at that overview. But what I've been doing lately, too, is trying to interpret passages and trying to, at times, stay within the realm of the book that it was written. And, and try to get stay within that context. Uh, Paul, again, we, I tried to do that in Romans because everything that Paul wrote in Romans, he built upon. Each chapter was really a building upon the previous chapter. And so those are, those are good ways uh, to interpret. Um, actually, even looking at the original languages, when I realize that sounds... Um, can sound a little bit foreboding, but going to English dictionaries that talk about the usage of particular Greek or Hebrew words. I try to stay out of Hebrew. That's really okay, so I got, I got some work to do, right? But th- that's always helpful to help interpret and to help bring some understanding as well. And, and so I study for understanding, knowledge, but in doing so, I am praying for wisdom. 
because I, I tend to think that wisdom is something, and, we, uh, and if you've read in the Proverbs, especially that third, the third proverb, um, there was a lot in the third proverb about wisdom. And, uh, and it, it's, it's not too late to go back and read if you have it, um, even though today's the sixth. Um, but it, there's a lot to say about wisdom, and there really is a lot that really implies that God is the one who is the giver of wisdom. James tells us that if any man lacks wisdom, James chapter 1, let him do what? Study? Doesn't say that. Says, let him ask of God who gives liberally and upholds or withholds not. So really the, the primary source of wisdom, and, and you see wisdom personified very early in the Proverbs. You see it personified in the third chapter. Um, and, and I can't remember what proverb I was reading, but it really almost describes wisdom as almost as if he's talking about the Son, God the Son, at least partially. Uh, I think it's later, uh, I, think, I think, well, I don't know, I think four or five, but I, I don't hold me to that. A um, couple of points here, and some ideas that I came up with, some ideas that I, I stole from other folks that I met, not, not even quite sold on this, all right, but for your own thinking. Um, one is, is that what, what Solomon is doing here is he's challenging the widely held notion that the pursuit of knowledge fulfills life and gives, person, gives a person a permanent significance. He's challenging the widely held notion that the pursuit of knowledge fills, fulfills life and gives a person permanent significance. Oh, you got, a, you got something to say with that look. You're thinking on it. Okay. All right, the pursuit of knowledge is the fulfillment of life. He's challenging that notion. Is the pursuit of knowledge a fulfillment? Fulfilling. Well, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Okay, but is, is it fulfilling? Does it... Why do you why do you learn? Okay. Does it add to your life? Or you stop and enjoy it at the time. In other words, you're in the moment. Um what book was it? I remember one week I had 150 pages I had to read. And that is a lot of reading for me. Um, I do well to get through 20 to 30 in a, in a given night. And I sat, it was really cold. <laughs> I sat by the stove and I sat there in a folding chair so I would be uncomfortable so I wouldn't go to sleep. And and I I I pounded through 70 or 80 that day and another 70 or so that next day and got it done. Um, do you want to know what I learned? 
I didn't learn a whole lot, if anything. And it was it was a good book. It was actually on systematic theology, and um, but uh, it, but it was like it was it was asking, and I had to do it for the class. But I was asking more than I was really able to comprehend. So I wasn't in the moment. You know what moment I was in? Turning the 149th page. <laughs> into page 150 and landing that plane, so to speak, right? So, um, but he's challenging that notion. So it, it's, um, what do you get from that? Other, well, I, here's what I get from that. Due to, unless, you, unless you've got something to weigh in, feel free to do so. But what I get from that is a humility of the knowledge that I do learn. And even though I may know a few things, so what? You know, and trying to hold what I know in, in, in humility rather than, well, I know this and I know that. Um, second of all, another perspective is what he's saying here. Is he's reveling in his hopelessness. In other words, he's seeking answers that he can't find answers to. Or he's asking questions that he cannot find answers to. And what you have here is, uh, thirdly, forgot to number this one, but thirdly, he, he sees all of life under the sovereign rule of God. Notice it says, I, 13, I set my heart to search out wisdom and concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man. There are other translations who say that a little bit differently in 13. That's what the NIV says? Wow, that's, almost, that's indicting, isn't it? God has laid a heavy burden on us because he's because I, I think I think in most people there's an there's an innate desire to learn something to know something. Um, if for nothing else, so that you sound better at Starbucks. <laughs> well, maybe not. Okay, um, but notice he's recognizing God's sovereignty. This is a burden he calls it a burden that God has laid upon humankind. Um, Go ahead and read that one part of the sentence, please. Okay. It is an unhappy business. So that would, yeah. Um, well, I, who wanted to go to school? You know what the most blessing that I had in my whole high school was? The fact that I lived right around the corner from the high school, and both of my parents worked. And it was, an op- it was not an open campus, but they couldn't control us because there were so many of us in, in the school. So guess where I spent a lot of my high school education? At home. And, uh, yeah, but <laughs> I don't know how I got into college to begin with. But uh, anyway, um, I didn't like going to school. Learning was hard. Learning's not easy. Now, there are some, and I'm not saying this to, 
I'm not looking for any sympathy here, but there are some Wednesday nights particularly that I come in here, I am exhausted from studying all day, you know, and I've learned that sometimes I just take a cat nap. Okay, I'm awake, I'm ready to go, let's do it. Although I did that one time, I don't know what I was thinking. Remember that, Harv, where I almost got here late? And I I decided, okay, it's 6 o'clock, I can sleep for 20 minutes. I still thought that the Bible study started at 7, and it started at 6.30, Remember that? I showed up like at about five minutes before this study. Sorry, guys. I was like, because I overslept. But uh, uh, studying and, and learning can be difficult. It's not, it's not easy. Um, and then uh, uh, fourthly, um, now this, this struck me. I probably should have say, saved more time for this. Because I don't, I'm still wrestling with this. The jury's out. i your mileage may vary, okay? I'm not sure where I stand on this. But I saw it. I thought, I'm going to throw this out here. Um, there's a difference between divine wisdom and human wisdom. At least that was what one commentator said. Is that true? It sounds like it's true. Is all truth or all wisdom Let's go back to truth again. Is all truth God's truth? We did this before, didn't we? And, and Bill, Bill finally shot, a, shot that tire, shot a hole in that tire. I think he did. Bill, is all truth God's truth? Oh, good answer. You know who asked that question, though, don't you? Pilate. So, so yeah, what is truth? That, that which is true. I hate to use the same word to define the word, you know. Is there a difference between divine and human wisdom? Notice he refers to, he sought out with wisdom to search out concerning all things that are under heaven. Under the juris, there's God's sovereignty again, by the way, I think. You might, under the jurisdiction of God. So is there a difference between divine truth and human truth? I, I don't know about that. Um, the word wisdom here in the Hebrew is the word hakma, H-O-C-H-M-A, if you want to write it down. Uh, it's a very broad term. H-O-C-H-M-A, hakma. It's a very, very, very broad term. It can be applied under different forms of wisdom, if in fact there are some. But if in fact is all truth, now don't say, don't ask the question, Bill. <laughs> if in fact all truth is God's truth, is it also not true that all wisdom is God's wisdom? Or let me put this a different way, because this just entered my mind. So I'm trying to be fair. I'm not totally pre-planned on this myself. I just forgot the thought. It'll come to me. Um, Are there some, is there, single, is there some wisdom that is more important than others? Are there some truths that are more important than others? This is a tough question. Yeah.
Discernment listed in 1 Corinthians, could, it's really discernment of spirits, which could be considered a spiritual, is listed as a spiritual gift. Um, you're making me pull some serious files on that one, Pat. Let's see here. Wisdom is one of the four cardinal virtues of the ancient world, of the classical world, which the church, by the way, incorporated into their thinking, and then they added three more. What would the three uh, Christian virtues be? Faith, hope, and love, okay? Um, but So you have seven primary or cardinal virtues, um, wisdom being one. Uh, I don't know, again, going back to what, what Tim jumped on at the beginning when we were talking about what wisdom was and discernment and knowledge and all that, it, I don't know if what separates wisdom from discernment, and I think part of being wise is that you are able to discern. So you could put it under a subheading, I think. That's how I would look at it. Bill's still thinking. Any other thoughts on that? So I don't know. I mean, this was what, and I can't even remember. I think. Can I remember exactly who? It was a good commentator. I usually was citing my note, notes recently just to kind of stay in this. Yeah. But, I, you know, whether or not, whether or not there's, now I think there are, I've met some non-Christians that are wise. Not many anymore. <laughs> I've met a lot of Christians that I don't think are very wise, to be honest with you. Because I think they're infected with the world. Instead of setting their minds on things above, they're setting their minds on things below. But when I thought about this question of is there a difference between divine wisdom and human wisdom, which a couple of commentators really wanted to hammer on that, he, that, that they were talking about how Solomon was very wise in the things of the world. And Jesus kind of, this just popped into my head, Jesus kind of refers to the idea uh, of, and I'm going to have to look it up because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to botch it, but he, he talks about where uh, gosh I, I, I'm going to re I'm not going to frame it right but he talks about where where the the, the world is it really is wiser or smarter uh, than also uh, there is this idea known as common grace what's common grace and we're going to go over slightly oh we're already a minute over can I finish up with common grace? I go. <laughs> Harvey's not too happy about that one. <laughs> Spam alert. Okay, common grace and we're done. Common grace really, I think, is best described to us in the book of James where the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And... 
when God is blessing a nation because his people are doing as they're supposed to, and this is really more of an Old Testament framework than a new, but nonetheless, all the people in that nation usually benefit from the blessing of God. Of course, a lot of people want to transpose that in, and I don't think it really works in the New Testament era, but that's just my opinion. Um, but if, and I've seen it like with companies, small companies where the, business, the owner is a Christian, God is blessing the business, and even the non-Christians are benefiting from the blessing. It's a common grace. And so therefore, um, part of wisdom, I think, is part of God's common grace. And some people just seem to have a better endowment of that than others. And, but if you lack wisdom, what do you do? Ask of God. James chapter 1 again. Ask of God who gives liberally and does not hold back. So if you don't think you're wise or you feel like you need wisdom, and I think we're in a day, I think we are in a day where we need wisdom to navigate, wisdom to discern what in the world is really going on in this crazy world then we need to ask God. So, with that, let's close in prayer.